Good morning, everybody. Good morning, people on the radio. Good morning, people on YouTube and wherever it is that you're tuning in. Maybe even on the app. Oh, there is an app out there. I know it's there. So welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul and awaken the consciousness. We're almost to May. In a couple of days, Benny, it will be May Day. May Day. I know. I'm <laughs> looking so forward to it. April just screamed on by, didn't it? It did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so I hope you're enjoying life and life's going to be good. It, and May is coming, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. Like I said, I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area for the last 26, 27 years. And as everybody knows, I've gone to Zoom for a lot of things. So it's actually kind of expanded my clientele base. And I do have people all over the world that call in to me and I do a lot of work. People are like, Loretta, what do you do long distance? I do everything except clean your house. I don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> But um, it's really easy to connect with people. I've always done it, you know, as a channel and a reader. I've always done it uh, long distance. We can do Reiki long distance. We can do sound long distance, past life regression work, you know, spiritual counseling, whatever it is you need to do. So find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com. Sign up for everything at schedule.ReikiOasis.com. And a big shout out to Indigo Hawk. I haven't thanked him for a while, my webmaster, who does things technologically and we are working on some things to kind of, I don't know, spice it up this year. Uh, every Sunday at 11 a.m. I offer a meditation. It's called Sunday Meditation with Loretta and you can join us. It's at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you can't be there at that time, sign up and I will send you a recording. Everybody gets a recording and it's really just a check-in to help kind of reset you. I have a great guest today, so I'm going to do just a very quick astrological check-in for those people that love to know the weather. Um, May 2021 is actually a huge month astrologically. Jupiter enters Pisces for the first time in 12 years. Mercury and Saturn go retrograde, and the eclipse season starts with a rare blood moon total lunar eclipse in Sagittarius. <sighs> Feel like I have to wipe my forehead just saying that. The Pleiades portal opens and the icing on the cake is that we have a record number of what are called out of bounds planets. They've gone out of bounds. Mercury, Venus, Mars, and the moon will all be out of bounds with Mercury and Mars. Mercury, planet of communication, and Mars is that sort of fiery person. They'll be out of bounds for almost the entire month. And if you're not familiar with that, it just means the planets are in a certain location in the sky, either north or south of the equator. But when a planet is out of bounds of the sun, it doesn't have to follow the rules. Oh, oh no. Which means it can do pretty much whatever it wants. Planets rarely go out of bounds and we can have months on end where everybody's playing by the rules. But in May, we have four planets that are just going to kind of do what they want. So be prepared for some unexpected things, maybe some opening of things. Because if, if, if we're suddenly in a, in a place on our planet where we're kind of 
trying to do things differently. We're breaking out of the rules. Sometimes what we find is that there are new ways of doing things. And there are some things we could do in different ways, right? It's always that way. So we're going to get kind of this, this sense of freedom or kind of an invitation to take a look at, well, you know, what, what, what do we want to do and how do we want to do it? So hang on a little bit. We are up for a ride. But whenever there's a challenge, you know, there's always the opportunity to grow into that. So a lot of energy in May. I'll talk more about that next week when we actually get into it. But I want to bring my guest on because I love the subject matter for today. If you've ever wondered about past lives, if you've heard of Edgar Casey, if you've wondered how do past lives affect our current lives, you're going to really enjoy my show today because I have a Joanne DiMaggio, M-A-C-H-T, on my show. And this is actually at least the second time she's been on my show. I loved our other interviews. She's a, a wealth of information. Joanne has been actively involved with Edgar Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment since 1987. Joanne is a regression specialist. She'll tell us what that is, a lecturer, and the author of numerous books to include her latest book, Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. Hmm. This is the true and endearing story of the relationship between Edgar Casey, one of the most documented and famous renowned psychics of the 20th century, and Thomas Jefferson, also known as TJ Davis the nephew of Casey's secretary, Gladys Davis. Joanne DiMaggio shares this amazing story of past lives, present influences, and how they can affect history and even the life of a soul. And, you know, um, welcome to the show, Joanne. I'm just so thrilled to have you. I have 80 million questions. <laughs> Thanks, Loretta. I'm really happy to be here with you again. So I'm, I'm really curious. Um, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork. Uh, could you just kind of review with the audience about Edgar Cayce, um, who he is and, and what he did? And um, I have to just say this before you before you launch in. Um, I, I had a father who was always reading this stuff, and I actually was introduced to Edgar Cayce by my father, who told me if I put the books I was studying under my pillow, like Edgar Cayce. <laughs> I know all, everything by the time. <laughs> it, it didn't actually work for me. Joanne, help me. <laughs> yeah, it worked for Edgar. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, there's a, there's a funny story about that because um, when TJ was a little boy, he would go in the vault where all the bags of mail to Mr. Casey were kept till he could get to them. And his, uh, you know, as you mentioned, TJ's aunt was Gladys Davis, who's T uh, Edgar's secretary. And TJ is to fall asleep on the bags of mail. And Edgar came in there one time and he said to him, you know, well, you can go ahead and sleep on them all you want. You won't really know what's in them the way I do. So it's like, so yeah, it was kind of a family joke, I guess. I don't know. But to answer your question about Mr. Casey, he um, he was with us. He was, uh, I think his dates were 1877 to 1945, he passed. 
And in that time, um, you know, he was a very religious man. He read the Bible for every year of his life, uh, taught Sunday school. Um, and I won't go into all the details about how his, his special abilities came about, but needless to say, in the course of his lifetime, he gave 14,000 plus readings to people. Um, and the majority of those, like 12,000 of them were health readings. That's how he got the name of being the father of holistic medicine because he would go into a trance and he would tell people um, what was kind of going on with them. Uh, many people came to him because they had exhausted traditional medical advice and, um, and he would prescribe a remedy. And many of those remedies are still available today. Uh, he was way ahead of his time in, in, in that regard. But then he started to, to get uh, more esoteric readings were coming through. Um, and that's when the past life information started to come out that he was sharing with, um, with client. And there was about 2000 of those uh, life readings they were called in which he would tell people about who they had been in a prior lifetime and whether their soul gained or lost in that life and tie it in with what was kind of going on with them today. So it's the life readings that I've studied and uh, have incorporated the information that came through those readings into my work. Um, Cause I've been, I've been a, a Casey follower now or study, uh, he's been my mentor since 1987. So um, I've really, um, I resonate with everything that he said. He, he was the most famous and most renowned psychic. Of, and I don't even like to use the word psychic because I think he was more a prophet than anything else um, of the 20th century. So um, yeah, that's that's who he was. And he founded the um, Association for Research and Enlightenment and Atlantic University in 1931. And I ended up getting my master's at Atlantic University uh, in transpersonal studies. And so it was three of the best years of my life to be with like-minded people and to study this, this work. So, yeah. you know, I, I am um, actually just fascinated by Edgar Casey and everything that he did. And, and, and I hope many people listening have heard of him and will go check out, you know, all of his information, but he would basically go to sleep right. and then this information would just come out. And I've always wondered, and you may or may not be able to answer like, where he went to get that information, right? Because he would, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he would either go to Akashic Records and read the record, or he would go directly to source and get the information. <clears throat> he worked where, where you asked him a question. So he was lying there, apparently looking like he was asleep, and then this information was coming through him. So he had to answer a question. It wasn't like he just started to talk on whatever subject he wanted. He was waiting for the question. So, um, and there's a description of the process that he went through to get to where he, he went, um, which is very fascinating unto itself. But um, I don't think anybody since him has been able to do that. No, I, I actually haven't heard of anyone else that does that. I'm also being with how well documented everything was. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So in the writing of this book, you accessed all, all kinds of all kinds of information. I'm showing people on yeah. the YouTube, the book, right? Edgar Casey and the unfulfilled destiny of Thomas Jefferson. 
reborn, which really the title itself raises all kinds of issues, right? <laughs> yes, you're right, right. So how did you get how did you get into doing this book? Um, well, uh, in 1987, after Shirley MacLaine's Out on a Limb came out on, as a miniseries, some of your listeners and viewers may know about that. Um, that was my big wake up call because I had studied reincarnation. I'd read books when I was a teenager about Edgar Cayce and, you know, people like Jess Stern and Ruth Montgomery. I was reading their books and stuff. And I think the first book I read on reincarnation was The Search for Bridie Murphy. And um, that's really long ago. Oh, okay. Okay. I just have to interject this. Okay. So my dad again, and when I grew up, we had a mule named it Bridie Murphy. <laughs> and it took me years and years to figure out where that name came from. Thank you for that. Please, oh, there you please. go. That's hysterical. <laughs> you know, there's always this weird connection between yeah, people. Yeah, you never know, it? right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, please yeah. continue. So um, <laughs> so that same year, I decided I, I wanted to really devote my time and energy into the study of, of reincarnation issues. And because Shirley had talked about that in her in her book and also in that miniseries. And so I thought, well, where can I go? I mean, where are my, where are the like-minded people that I can learn from? And that took me to the ARE and I joined that year. And then I had a friend who said to me, did you know that Edgar Casey did this reading on this baby boy when he was two days old and said that he had been the reincarnation of Thomas Jefferson and Alexander the Great, not just Thomas Jefferson, he had two famous past lives. And, uh, and, I, and she knew that I loved history. I was a history major in college. And she also knew that I was a writer and I, I likened myself to a reporter for the universe. <laughs> so when I would get, when I would hear about a great lead for a story, it was like my antenna went up and I thought, wow, what a great, I wanna find out. What is it like to get a reading like that when you're two days old? How did that affect your life? Obviously, I knew that he had not fulfilled that prophecy. Uh, the prophecy was, by the way, in that same reading, Casey said, this soul could do for the world what Thomas Jefferson did for this country. Heavy, heavy, heavy. heavy. So I thought, okay, I know he didn't do that. And why not? What happened? Because I, I knew Casey, I don't know of any time Casey was wrong about right. any of the ratings that he did. Yeah. So I thought he wouldn't have said that unless unless he knew something. So it took me, I, I tried to get in touch with ARE. I, I said, can you, can you connect me with this? Because at that point, I didn't even know his name. I only knew he was number 1208 because in the, in the Casey readings, everybody's given a number to preserve anonymity. So I didn't even know what his name was, but I found people who did, they, they shared that with me. And, uh, but they wouldn't introduce us. They, they said, no, you don't want to meet him. No, 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 no. So one obstacle after the other. So finally I gave up. And um, this was in 1987. I moved to Charlottesville in 1995. And unbeknownst to me, he had also moved to Charlottesville from Virginia Beach with his family. And so we got connected through somebody at the University of Virginia who uh, was a past life therapist and I had called him because I wanted to get to know are there any are you doing any study groups or anything like that in Charlottesville 
And he mentioned me to this woman, a nurse at the, at the hospital. And uh, she called me and she said, um, my husband, TJ Davis and I would like to invite you to our home for dinner. And I was like, what? The universe, the universe had divinely orchestrated this meeting. So we met and um, in that first meeting, he told me that Casey had said he had been Jefferson and uh, we became friends. And then our lives kind of went in different directions and I didn't see him for years. And then all of a sudden we came back together again. And I asked him, Kent, would you be interested in me uh, writing your biography? And also, um, because I felt like he had get, been given a bad rap because people were blaming him for not having fulfilled that prophecy. Like, oh, you could have done for all of us this great thing and you just didn't do it. But nobody was asking why he didn't do it. And right. that's what I wanted to find out. So he agreed. And so I started hosting him for small conversations with local ARE people here in the Charlottesville area. And then um, he gave me permission to go into his file at the Edgar Casey Foundation, the archives. And luckily for me, I, uh, Karen Davis, who is his cousin through marriage, was working in the archives and she assisted me by giving me the different, she'd go in the archives and pull out a folder and I had to put my white gloves on and very gingerly go through <laughs> one page at a time. Uh, and over an eight year period, this book evolved and it, it, uh, it went through many, many rewrites uh, and interviews with TJ. And um, finally in March, it got published. So I'm really proud of it. It's my first biography. Yeah. Yeah. And just, uh, like I said, I'm going to show it to people, and and I'm the tabby girl hype. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> but I also love the fact you've got pictures in it, like your research, like you've got letters between people. There's all kinds of information in here that I don't know. In my opinion, if anybody was to question anything, you you can you have something to stand on with what you've got in the book that's exactly why i did it the way i did it because when karen davis and i were talking about it she said joanne make sure that the book is uh includes the historic documentation uh and so what i did was i went through everybody's file mr casey gladys his parents and read all the letters because back then that's how they, they would send letters all the time back and forth. And I just sandwiched them together to create some sort of a chronological map of, so the first part is all based on historic documentation. So if anybody points to anything and says, that's not true, I can go to the archives and show that it is. And then the second part of the book is his memories of, of growing up in the Casey household. You know, I am sitting here thinking of several things. Number one, sort of the guidance that came to you, like there was like a behind the scenes orchestration of you and TJ coming together in this book actually getting out there, which is probably a whole lot of questions in, around that. Yeah. Um, but I, um, because that's obvious, right? Like that's just obvious. But I want to back up just a little bit so that the uh, listeners can understand you know, so here is this two-day-old baby getting a life reading from Edgar Casey. So, and it's heavy, it's big. Um, and and I'm with you. Like Edgar Casey, to me, was just like didn't make mistakes. He didn't right. make any mistakes. 
what what was going on with that baby that he ended up there with Edgar Casey? And maybe you can talk to this because I could feel it through the whole book. This strong heart connection between Edgar Casey and TJ, like there's something, there's yeah. something going on here. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, TJ said TJ is part of Casey's soul group. So the soul family, you know, we travel together as soul families, soul groups, like pods from one lifetime to the other. And TJ was part of that pod that Casey was in and Gladys was in. Uh, and he knew he wanted to be in Casey's life. But by the time he looked in on Casey, uh, he was already too old to have children. And then he thought, well, I'll come in through my aunt Gladys and get to Casey. And he couldn't do that because she wasn't married or having children. So then he thought, well, okay, I'll come in through Gladys's brother, Boyd, and his wife, Berlin. They won't want me because they're gamblers and alcohol alcoholics. The last thing they wanted was a baby. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. He came in through them, through his biological parents. And when he was born, he said that he looked like a piece of wood because he had been sloshing around in a womb that was nothing but alcohol. Uh -huh. And the doctor said, he has maybe three days to live. And so Mr. Casey knew this already. And he told Gladys, he'll be fine, bring him to me. Gladys wrapped the baby up, brought him to Mr. Casey. Casey gave him a, a health reading and Gladys followed it the baby was fine. And, but then that life reading came at the same time, basically. Uh, and that was, you know, Casey did many, many, um, many, many health readings for TJ over his life. Cause TJ was uh, eight and a half when Mr. Casey died. So those first eight and a half years he spent on and off in the Casey household because Gladys would be his caretaker. And um, so he had a very special bond with, uh, with Edgar. And yeah, if you just look at the pictures alone, you could see yeah. how much love there. There's a lot of love yeah. in that cover picture. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. And um, little, yeah. When he was just a baby. Yeah. 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 He adored, they, they were, yeah, they were very, very, very close. And uh, Edgar saw something in him that, mm -hmm. um, and he nurtured that. And he, he was like a, a, uh, his teacher, you know, they, I have stories in there about how they'd go out on the pier and go fishing together. And Casey was pouring all this information and wisdom into the vessel of this little boy, you know, um, and the things that TJ saw growing up there were just remarkable. So, you know, he found his way back to his mentor and his teacher. And those years, those eight and a half years, he was just so, it, it was just the most happy time for him. Um, and Casey, you know, gave really explicit directions to his parents about how he was to be raised. They opted to not listen to that. And their, and his soul ended up going on a completely different trajectory than what Casey had, um, had, had predicted. And I think it's, it just shows that free will, we all have free will. And you can have the most lofty past life. And you but you could choose not to you know, you could choose to go in a whole different direction. I mean, he couldn't choose when he was eight and a half when Casey died. You know, certainly he could have maybe done something later on in life when he was on his own. But those pivotal years, 
were were missed because um, because the parents um, chose not to follow the directions that Casey gave. You you pull out in in the book something about a school. You know, yeah. Edgar had had chosen a school for TJ to go go to, and and can you make a comment about that? Sure. He yeah. Casey had given a reading on a woman. Mm -hmm. uh, her name is Beulah Emmett. And she had been, uh, her past life, she had been with Aristotle uh, and was like an assistant teacher, a teacher with Aristotle. Well, Aristotle taught Alexander the Great. So TJ having been Alexander, Casey's thinking, well, if I can get TJ back with his original teachers, right? Right. Pick up kind of where we left off. And um, Mrs. Emmett was starting a new school in New Hampshire called the, new, the High Mowing School, which was the first Waldorf school in the country. Uh -huh. and, um, and so although it was a high school, she agreed with Edgar asked her, would you take TJ? Uh -huh. And you know, when she found out who he was and everything, yeah, I'll take him. She was ready to take him when TJ was only six years old. Wow. And they actually had him Gladys had booked their tickets, the, the train uh, tickets. She gave the itinerary to, to Mrs. Emmett. They were all set to go. And right when they're ready to get on the train, what do you think? The, uh, TJ's mother changes her mind and pulls them off. And that was the end uh -huh. of that. And Mrs. Emmett said it, that it, to her, it was tragic that he didn't end up there. And Casey was so disappointed. You could, you could read the, the sense of disappointment in his letters to Mrs. Emmett about why this didn't happen. But he had, he couldn't control that. He wasn't his father, you know? Right. So, right. Um, uh, and he kept saying, I don't know why she changed her mind. I don't know what happened, but it's a, it's a shame. And he kept, he held out hope that later on he would still go to that school, but it never happened. It never happened. Yeah. I was actually just going to ask, like, why did she change her mind? But we may never know. Yeah. Well, she claimed that she didn't want him so far from her. But if you ask TJ, and I have a quote in the book from TJ, that he thinks it was ridiculous because she really didn't, you know, she didn't want him in the first place. So why, why is she coming up with this? I don't want him far away from me. I mean, they spent large periods of time not together. So um, it was just one of those things that I guess um, that we'll never know what the motive was behind that. Yeah, we may never know. It's a shame. Yeah. So this is Loretta Brown, my guest today, Joanne DiMaggio. We're talking about her, her book, Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn, which I think raises all kinds of issues about karma, free will choice, and what happens when a soul is, is doing great things and then comes in and are they always going to continue to do great things? How are your past lives affecting current life? So we're going to take a little station break and don't go away because when we get back, I, I have a lot more questions, things such as, hmm, is there just one soul in one life? Why are there so many Cleopatras? So <laughs> we'll answer that question when we get back. Let's take a little station break, Benny. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. 
harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. Alternative Talk 1150 is your sports organization's safe bet when it comes to airing your team's games. Our players are all seasoned professionals when it comes to sports programming. Imagine your games being heard on local radio. Your team deserves the MVP treatment. Call 425-653-1150 today to learn how affordable and fun it is to broadcast your games on the radio. Call 425-653-1150 and make your next season something special. That's 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown show. And huh, I'm Loretta Brown. Who knew? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and my guest today, Joanne DiMaggio, a delightful woman. She's written a great book called Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. We're talking about past life and current life and how they affect each other and also about free will and karma. And I asked a question just before the break. So why are there, quote, so many Cleopatras, Joanne? Because I know you do a lot of past life regression work and I get this all the time where people are like, um, there's, a, there's a theory called, I think it's called the split soul or something like that, where a soul comes back in many lives. Do you believe that? What do you believe? I don't believe that. I believe it's one soul to one body. Uh, Casey believed one soul to one body. Um, I have, living in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is the home of Thomas Jefferson, by the way. <laughs> so his home yeah. is here. It's Monticello is here. The University of Virginia, which he founded, is here. Consequently, we have many souls here who think they were Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> Thank you. And when my book was published, one in particular uh, sent me an email and said I had done a great disservice to humanity by writing this book because I was not acknowledging that there were other Thomas Jeffersons here. Well, I don't believe there are other Thomas Jeffersons here. I, you know, I have asked people before, I said, if you think you're somebody famous, I mean, are you, are you when you were doing the regression, are you looking out through your eyes at the people? Or are you seeing this famous person, like if you think you're Napoleon, do you see him on the horse? Because famous people attracted a lot of other people yeah. who were in their circle, right? Yeah. So you would identify maybe with them, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that that's who you were. You know, here we have a child who, in TJ's case, when he's three years old, he's reciting the Declaration of Independence to Edgar <laughs> and telling him that he wrote it. You know, so I mean, how many of these other Thomas Jeffersons can say that? I don't know. Um, yeah, so I, you know, people come up with reasons. I had a, one woman who said to me, um, she said, I, I think I was uh, uh, Patrick Henry in a previous life. And I said, oh, really? Why do you think that? She said, because he's a good talker and so am I. Oh, wow. Okay. So sometimes, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. And most people who were truly, truly somebody famous are the most humble people on the earth. They don't yeah. go around bragging about, 
I was so-and-so or I was so-and-so. You know, I just read something this morning about a woman who thinks she's the Mary, the mother of Jesus. Like, you know, and I don't negate what anybody's truth is or, or what their experience is, but there's a lot more to it than I think that, that, that they're not really exploring. Right. So I never say to somebody, you cannot have been that person. But there are theories of strands of soul, like a soul will split and different strands will go into different bodies. Um, then my question is, well, which of those strands is handling the karma from that life, right? Very With Jefferson, well he mm -hmm. had some, some, some karma because of slavery. Um, so you've got the slave owner and you've got the writer of the Declaration of Independence, which strand goes into which body and how are they dealing with that karma so you know I think a lot of those statements are ego-based uh and so um I I just I'm not really into famous people of famous past lives you know yeah, yeah. like I said you know TJ is very humble and very seldom talks about Jefferson and very seldom talks about Alexander matter of fact he does not he does not like Alexander. He says, I don't know why they said he's the great. He says, he's not great at all. Look at all the people he killed, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. You know, so anyway, um, yeah, but I think he has, he's never had a regression. I've offered to regress him multiple times and he has always refused, but he'll say something out of the blue that where you know, you just know that it, it's coming from that lifetime. So, um, so I, I do believe that he is the real the real deal. He's the real deal. Yeah. 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 I actually um, I, I'm going to agree with you on everything that you said. And and there's a lot more we could say about that. But um, yeah, I and I, I suppose I've got a couple of questions and then I want to get back into uh, the book. You do a lot of past life regression work with people. So what is different about the way you do it as opposed to what Edgar Casey did? Well, Edgar Casey was doing a reading. In other right. words, he was going to source or Akashic records and then he was telling people who they were. I don't ever do that. I don't do readings. I guide them. I use guided imagery and I help them get it to so because the answers are all there for them. All that information is stored in their soul. They just have to be open-minded to it and just ask for the information to come forward and the soul very gladly accommodate them. So I guide them through a very long induction, relaxation, deep breathing kind of thing. And then I guide them into this past life. But everything that they come up with is something they saw, not something I projected onto them. Uh, so that's, um, that's the main difference. And then I try to help them tie it together you know, what do you have in common with this past life? Um, are there any people from that life that are in your life now? Can you tell from the essence of their soul? And if they are in your life now, uh, what role are they playing? You know, and uh, what do you, you know, uh, what were your last thoughts when you, when you passed away, when your soul left your body? Because that often sets up the next life. So having a trained regression therapist working with you is different than going to a reader Yes. Who will, who will just, you know, um, psychically tell you who you had been. Yeah. And I also, um, you know, cause I do some past life regression work too. I find that 
And even in, in all the work that I do, I find that when the person has a personal experience, like when it comes out of their soul to them, they're, they're, they'll have goosebumps or cry or there's something yeah, that validates. Yeah. yeah. Whereas sometimes when you just tell people something, they're like, oh, well, that's lovely, but I don't know. Yeah. Right. So for TJ, um, you know, because he had this reading when he was two days old, did he, did, did, he's still alive, right? Oh yeah. yes, he is. Yeah. He'll be 85 in June. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, that's amazing. That kind of gives me goosebumps. Like, yeah, it'd be really fun to meet him. Yeah, that would yeah. be great. He lives, he lives, he still lives in Charlottesville. Yeah. And actually he lives on this uh, very remote area, but his mountain, when he was first moved there, he could go to the top because he's got like 40 acres. He can go to the top with binoculars and look over at the next mountain. And guess what was on the next mountain? Monticello, his old home. <laughs> so he used to say, he said, I see all these people running around in my house. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, you know, and there've been times he's gone up there and it's those, those stories are funny as well when he's actually visited his old home. But it's, yeah, so when he was a boy, he basically, he spent so much time with Edgar Casey. I'm going to say he basically was raised by him in some manner. Yeah. And, and, you know, from the book, I understand they had all kinds of interesting conversations. And Edgar Casey even helped develop a, a friend for him when they were out on the pier. Can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Because yeah, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. They, that pier that they, there was a lake behind the Casey household and uh, they, there was a pier there that Edgar would go out and fish. And when TJ was about two and could hold a, a, a rod, he went out there as well. And there's the cutest pictures of the two of them sitting there. There's one in the book fishing. And that's where that was TJ's classroom. That's where Mr. Casey taught him about reincarnation, about the creation story, about karma. He taught him how to read auras. And so TJ being just a little fellow would say, you know, there's, there were all adults at the ARE at that point. They'd come and visit Mr. Casey. And TJ said, there's nobody here my size. He never talked about age. I always talked about how this size. And so Mr. Casey said, don't worry about it. You're here with me now. And then, but he kept whining about it, whining about it. So finally, so finally one day they're out on the pier and, and TJ says he hears violin playing, you know, in the background. And he turns around, here's this little girl playing the violin. Mr. Casey said, there you go. There's a playmate for you. Her name is Stefanella and she'll play with you. So TJ started playing with her. She only spoke Italian. Uh, and TJ said sometimes when she was playing her violin, she was so into it that she was almost like, like he could, he could put his hands through her. But for this, for TJ, this was like normal stuff, right? Because he was living with this, <laughs> this man and all these things were going on. So um, yeah, and she was TJ's uh, companion until Mr. Casey died. And then there's an interesting story in the book about years and years later when after TJ got out of the Marine Corps, he started traveling around Europe, ended up in Italy, in Perugia, decided to go to the university there on the GI Bill, went to find a place to live and meets this one woman who said she had a room for him. And so she goes in the kitchen to make some coffee He's looking around and on the piano, there's all these pictures. And what do you know? There's a picture of guess who? Stefanella. And he didn't, he was like, what's going on here? Turns out that she was the mother or grandmother of this woman. So there's a whole story in the book about that. It's I thought that was incredible. 
I yeah. think that's incredible. It's it's really, really incredible. It also brings to the forefront of my mind that that Edgar Casey knew about TJ maybe even before he came in. There's yeah. this whole, you know, and I understand too that when they were out there on the pier, they'd talk about like, do you remember building the pyramids? And exactly and they'd talk about Atlantis and it, yeah. it was like memories. Right. Yeah. Like they're just talking about old times together or something. Yeah. And TJ said, you know, if you overheard us talking, you think we were like 10,000 years old. He says, because we were, you know, and he said he talked to me like I was an adult. Wow. But what I have to say, and I want to make sure I get this in, um, is after I wrote the book and the book came out, I was really thinking about this, this whole heaviness of this, this prophecy about doing for the world what Jefferson did for this country. I don't think it had anything to do with Jefferson and I don't think it had anything to do with any kind of a global initiative, I or political. I think it was because when they were out on the pier, Mr. Casey never talked about it, about Thomas Jefferson. Right. He was teaching him. And, and when they were in the house, even TJ was reading, uh, he'd go into the little library and he'd read the readings. They would bring the book, the readings to him and he'd sit there and read or else he'd sit in on a reading. And um, I think Mr. Casey, I think he intended for him to share the Casey material, the teachings and the readings with the world. Because TJ has often said to me, he said, you know, Joanne, all the answers to humanity's problems are contained in those readings, if yeah. only people would ask. So if you have a person coming in who was Thomas Jefferson, First of all, people are going to sit up and pay attention to him, right? I wonder right. what he has to say. Let's listen. Let's listen. And then if he starts talking about karma or about reincarnation or about any of that stuff as the answer to humanity's issues, that's a whole different thing. And I, I really am hoping that this book and the, the times I can actually get him to speak with me at some of the conferences that I'm doing, which is not easy because he, he is like up a, a, he is a, somewhat of a recluse, plus his health is starting to fail. But when I can get him to do that, I think he actually will fulfill that destiny. I really do feel that way. Oh my goodness. Thank you for that. Because I actually was going to ask that question in some form and you answered it. Yeah. I was, I was thinking to myself that perhaps people's idea of that reading, you know, because, okay, Thomas Jefferson and Alexander the Great are political figures, right? right? And I understand TJ also had other lifetimes that were something to do with political, right. whatever, right? Right. And definitely in our world today, we're undergoing some sort of transition with all of that. But maybe, maybe, you know, my thought was maybe he is fulfilling his destiny, uh, and part of that's because I, I have this unfounded trust in Edgar Casey, right? That, that he knew what was going on. And, you know, he spent eight and a half years with Edgar Casey, which to me is rich and full. And my goodness, you know, like yeah. nobody did that, right? Yeah, right. And um, I, I guess I don't, I'm not, I don't for a moment believe Edgar Casey wasn't tuned into the fact that this was going to be part of the whole thing. Right? You know, I always felt when I was working on this book that both Edgar Casey and Gladys Davis were with me because there were times I'd get really frustrated. I'd put it down for months at a time. I didn't want to do it or, or the, 
the uh, obstacles were too great. I had people that didn't want me to write this book and, and they would pop up and then I'd say, okay, okay, I won't do it. But I remembered that I had made a promise that I would do it in, you know, in my pre-life planning session. And I feel like what's interesting to me about all this is that when I was going through those files, you know, they were falling apart in my hand because they, they would write letters to each other on, and make, Gladys would do carbon copies on, on onion skin paper. Your older listeners will know what that is. But, you know, here we are 70 years later and stuff's falling apart in my hand. And I felt like, I wonder if Edgar and Gladys put all this in the archives and nobody had bothered to go in there to pull it out and read it because they knew that in 70 years, the universe was going to send their cub reporter <laughs> to, to <laughs> go in and do the research and write this story. I mean, that's how it felt to me, yeah. which is what kept me going, you know, yeah. through all of it. So, uh, you know, I've taken some heat because of it, uh, but, um, but I don't care because I felt like this was wrong. This was wrong that he had, uh, he, you know, he never was able to get a job at the ARE, which was all he really ever wanted. Oh. He, he, he was happy to just cut the grass and they wouldn't give him a job. He did develop a, a reputation, you know, that was um, maybe less than, uh, I don't know, um, you know, more like he was a, a womanizer and, and he was more like the hippie recluse that would just kind of hang out over there, but he was lost. He, after Casey died, he was a yeah. lost soul. He didn't, Casey had promised him a second reading when he was 13. And he felt like that reading would have given him everything he needed to know going forward. And that reading never happened. Right. And he was trusting after Casey died that maybe somebody there would take him under their wing and nurture him. And that didn't happen because everybody was scurrying around trying to save the readings. Gladys was busy doing that. She couldn't, didn't really have time for him. And then he was thrown from pillar to post. You know, he would be sent to his grandmother's and to his aunt and uncles. And he never really had the kind of stable home that he had when Casey was alive. And so there was a lot going on there that I feel like people have ignored yeah. uh, in terms of understanding what really what really happened so instead of blaming him and shaming him you know for for not having done what Casey said I, I think that they misunderstood what Casey meant and and yeah. that's only you know come to the forefront now that that the book is done and out there so I'm hoping to set the record straight um well and know, I, I'm, I'm also thinking to myself about you know so many other people and and they're like I was saying during the break, people ask me sometimes, Loretta, did I miss my destiny? You know, did I mess it up? Yeah. And may, maybe he didn't mess it up. Maybe, maybe it was misunderstood by people because I can feel that disappointment or that possible judgment or anger people may have directed toward him. And then he went from under Edgar Casey's wing to just nothing. Nothing, just right. No direction, nobody really wanting him and him having to try to find his way and all of that yeah so i i applaud you for continuing on and and i do really feel that uh edgar edgar casey and gladys probably yeah are right there helping you with that whole thing um so possibly our destiny 
right? Like you say, maybe TJ's destiny is exactly what is happening right now with you releasing this book. And of course, we're also in a time where uh, you're, you're able to extend out now with, you know, sessions because of Zoom and because of what has happened this past year. And this book is getting, I think, hopefully more recognition and possibly turning people's eyes back toward the Edgar Casey materials. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so TJ has had to carry this rather complicated load with him his whole life. Yeah, yeah. And he... He didn't, he learned early on not to talk about it. Okay. So he would not share anything with anybody because he said that, you know, after Casey died and he was kind of thrown out into the mainstream, um, he realized that other people, other children's lives were not like his at all. And he didn't want people to think he had two heads or he was weird or, I mean, they would call him that psychic brat. He'd say that the when Casey was even alive, that when he would go visit friends from school or something like that, that the parents wouldn't even drop him off in front of the Casey house because they were too spooked by it. So they'd drop him oh, off wow. a couple of blocks away and he'd have to walk the rest of the way. So he knew from an early age that this was not mainstream conversation. And consequently, he didn't talk about it. And until he met me, and then um, because I was running ARE programs here in Charlottesville, I said, how about if I organize uh, a small gathering when you can talk to people, tell them your story? And at first he didn't want to do it. He was, he was afraid to do it. Yeah, and course. I said to him, you're going to be in, you're going to be in loving company. These people are, are like-minded. They're not going to think anything ill of you or that you're weird. And he did. He started to do that. And people were hanging on his every word. They were mesmerized. He still has that charisma mm -hmm. that, that you would associate with a mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson, right? He can still command a crowd and people just, um, hung on every word that he said and uh, it was actually funny because I, I was standing aside and watching this you know he was like a rock star and these were all little <laughs> groupies around him you know it was it was really actually kind of funny you know but he was so relieved that he could be his authentic self again yeah you know yeah. and then these people were loving to him and uh uh yeah I mean I wish we could have kept that up longer than what we did, but yeah. you know. I'm thinking about the journey of a soul, you know, from lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. And is is he is he in tune with maybe where he's gonna go after this lifetime? Is that information that comes through to a soul or do we just wait until, you know, the afterlife for that? Well, you know, you you they say you do set up your next lifetime in your current lifetime. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you've got a factor in free will. And when he goes, in, when he's in the afterlife, just as all of us, we're going to look and say, like, the earth is a school, right? And right. We're, we're taking classes here. So you look at your report card of all your lifetimes to see what you haven't passed or what you haven't taken yet. And then you end up saying, okay, in this life, I'm going to work on issues of abandonment, or I'm going to work on issues of approval and acceptance or whatever, um, so I don't, we don't know what, what he's going to do the next time. He knows he's coming back. He already said that. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I will tell you that um, of everything about Jefferson's life, it is the slavery issue that bothers him the most. Um, and so I don't know if that's what he's, I think in this life, he's working on the um, monetary problems that Jefferson had because he lives now in pretty much abject poverty. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and he doesn't have a computer, he doesn't have Wi-Fi, he doesn't have a car. So he's kind of up there and depending on, you know, uh, people bringing food to him and, and stuff like that. So, uh, so when I call him, um, you know, he gets all uh, charged up because when he talks about Casey, he lights up, it's like a whole different person. Wow. So, um, so I want to show him that, that there are still so many people who love him yeah. And, and who uh, want the best for him and would do anything for him. So, uh, so we're, uh, we're uh, reintroducing him to um, his like-minded family. Well, and maybe this is the right time for this information to come forward and for him to be here. You know, I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm looking at the strange meandering of his life and how it's ended up here. Do you um, recommend that, that children be told things like that? No, <laughs> neither does he. No, no. Because uh, yeah. he said Gladys would read him his life reading uh, like it was a bedtime story. Oh, wow. So he got it every single night, you know. You ask him, you know, about his Atlantean life and he'll tell you about, about how he was part of the, the group that was destroying Atlantis and then he fell in love with a soul that was on the other side uh, and he ended up uh, rescuing like groups and taking them to, to settle in different parts of the world. So, um, anyway, yeah. it was, uh, it was, uh, uh, yeah, no, he would not, he would not recommend that. <laughs> so, um, one last question and, and then let people know where they can find you. Are, are you part of his soul family? Yeah. Edgar Casey's. I yeah. am. I didn't think I was until TJ told me I was. You know, because one time somebody, a medium said to me, you know, I, you know, you know why you're so attached to the Casey material? And she's because you had been his daughter in a life in, a, in, um, in Africa. And I said to TJ, I said, I've never been in Africa. I've never had a lifetime in Africa. And TJ says, Joanne, Egypt is in Africa. So I was like, okay. <laughs> That's all great. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe we're related somehow. But anyway, this is uh, Loretta Brown, my guest today, Joanne DiMaggio, Edgar Casey and the unfulfilled destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. I highly recommend it. Uh, where can people find you, Joanne? Um, my website is joannedimaggio.com, J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O.com. And uh, all my books are on there, the different kinds of regressions that I do. If anybody wants to book one on Zoom, they can book it right online. And uh, there's a blog on there about different aspects of uh, past life work that I think you might find interesting. All right. Thank you so much. I, I loved it. We barely scratched the surface. And <laughs> thank you so much. Blessings thank to you, you and to all the listeners. Have a really, really great week, uh, week and enjoy May Day. Make it happy. Bye.